Hello, it's Thursday the 14th of June 2018. You're listening to Amusing Ourselves to Death, Season 2. It's been a while, Cam. Yes, great to see you again. How have you been during the break? Uh, well, I, I hate to say this, but I've been missing it. <laughs> when I read the newspapers, I think, right, that's got to go in Amusing Ourselves to Death. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's two weeks I haven't been able to do it. Luckily, I was... I had taken myself away and shut myself up, for, shut myself off from uh, my phone and my email. So I felt a little less inclined that, to, to, to that way. But lots of things have happened. We've got a lot to get through today. Yeah, um, I noticed there was a book that came out quite recently called The List, which was written by a gender equality campaigner who is uh, ex Wall Street. And I think what she did was every week of 2017 she wrote a list of things that happened because she was told that when Donald Trump uh, leaves office that America will not be recognizable. And so by writing a list of every single significant thing that's happened, then they'll be able to note what has been dismantled and possibly have a chance of resurrecting it. Well, at least see how it was done, right? I'll give you some kind of For those of us who want to do it ourselves, exactly. (laughs) Um, yeah, so um, possibly inspired by the fact that there's so much data to get through, mm. um, maybe I can read some aspects of a list here and then go over it properly. Yeah. So, I mean, literally just read a few words and then afterwards um, return. Yeah, we can pick out one or two things to expand on. Okay, so here are some things that have happened in no particular order. Um, Isabel Oakshot, um, we've mentioned her before and there seems to be been a Ferrari about her. She's on Question Time tonight. We interviewed Chloe from FIFA, oh, sorry, not from FIFA, from Dsmog about FIFA and the greenwash that they're doing. That will be coming out soon. They've got a great article already out on Dsmog. We interviewed David White yesterday who told us about the links between the 30th anniversary of the Piper Alpha disaster, which is where an oil rig burned 30 years ago, and uh, Grenfell. Uh, he talked to us about deregulation, re-regulation, and the revolving door and the serious fraud office appointment of Lisa Rosowski, all of which we have covered. Pimlico, plumbers, there was a big legal hearing after years in relation to the gig economy. Um, The IWGB, um, International Workers of Great Britain Union, and the outsourcing campaign at the University of London. That made a lot of progress last week and... Not enough has been said about that. Mm. Um, You were saying that there's a case to do with facial recognition that Liberty are taking the government to over the police. Yeah, so it's the first time that a case has been brought forward against the police to do with biometric information gathering. And it's a guy called Ed Bridges in Cardiff who's taking South Wales Police to court over... um, They've been taking on facial recognition, automated facial recognition, which means they just go out and capture your face and that creates a unique biometric image and he's taking them to court over that. Okay, so um, if anyone's interested in finding out more about that, do tell us or go straight to the Liberty um, Ed Bridges case. Jeff Bezos, your favourite person. <laughs> By the way, Cam, I do very much like your new, is it your Twitter handle? Your my, Twitter profile? my cover photo. For Twitter? Yeah, yeah. I love it, people. Go and have a look at that. <laughs> I always thought that Cam had a bit of a thing about Jeff Bezos. Oh my but, God. Um, oh my God, yeah. Um, is this Stockholm Syndrome? I'm not sure. Uh, Possibly. Fantastic. When I saw it, I was just like, I've got to have this. Which is what he thought. <laughs> when <laughs> he saw he you. all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so Jeff Bezos, uh, you were saying yesterday that he has managed to remove the Seattle homeless tax. Mm-hmm. Could you just quickly tell us what does that mean? So Seattle was trying to bring in a 
new tax on big businesses. This was companies that were over earning over £20 million. It was a $275 per employee head tax that would help provide $47 million in total for affordable housing to deal with the housing crisis in Seattle. Amazon and Jeff Bezos led the charge against this tax, and after a month, they've had to they've forced an embarrassing U-turn um, amongst Seattle's political leaders. Uh, they voted against it after just a month ago, voting unanimously for this tax. Yeah, and this is from a guy who said that he didn't know how to spend his money. What could he spend his money on? Uh, space is fine. Mm, affordable housing, not so much. And similarly, there was another story in the UK to do with. Um, the number of times that ambulances have been called to Amazon warehouses in the UK. So this was in The Guardian. There were 600 times in the last three years Amazon uh, ambulances have been called to Amazon warehouses. Now, to put this into a bit more context, so in one Birmingham factory, 155 times ambulances were called, and then compared to, I think, a Tesco's similar warehouse, it was eight times. And I guess what... This is another aspect of what Amazon is doing to our society in terms of like the the costs of Amazon are being lumped on our health services, and we don't we we talk about how it's a very 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 clever company, but really we're paying more so for this company to exist in our society. So the different way, I don't know. I think maybe we should come up with a name for Jeff Bezos, like Jeff Leechos or something. I don't know. Yeah, good stuff, Cam. <laughs> um, I think that this reminds me of when I watched you interviewing the wonderful Beverly Skeggs, mm. and um, you went on to wearables. And she just said, you know what? You know, these guys, they're wearing their T-shirts, you know, and all this type of capitalism, but nobody tracks workers more than these guys. And uh, this is a reminder to yeah. me of that. I mean, I have a wearable watch, and like, as in, you know, like a sort of, what is it, a pedometer sort of thing. Yeah, that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, what she was saying was they force their workers to wear all of this stuff so they're being monitored. Yeah. So maybe that's part of what's going on in the background at these Amazon warehouses is that they're all probably on contracts, not employed by Amazon, you know, various layers uh, so they, they don't have a pension. Uh, so they won't have a pension, but their health will be monitored because that's what she said. <laughs> they will only yeah. go for the most uber, healthy, strong people. Yeah. Um, and that selection process will probably pre-select itself as well so that if you don't pass that stuff, you won't get a job anyway. And there's... There's been lots of stories about the conditions of Amazon warehouses, you know, being horrible, them having these unreachable targets. And then, yeah, and then they kind of dispose of them and our ambulances, you know, pick them up. If we're talking about health tourism, if the government talks about health tourism, what is this? What is this, this is corporate health tourism, isn't it? <laughs> this is an entire company relying on, on the NHS to come and pick up the members of the UK public that it has disposed of. I believe that we started about four or five minutes ago. <laughs> Cam, you're... Framing everything up in terms of conflict uh, like you've never been away. Excellent. Um, okay, so let us move on briefly. Mm -hmm. um, Heathrow. Oh, my God, these hunger strikers. So I think they went to Scotland this morning. I've got no feedback yet from what happened. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so Heathrow, Roger Hallam, and the rest of the vote no Heathrow. So it's at vote no Heathrow. Yes. Hashtag vote no Heathrow. Watch it. Help them. Uh, write to your MP, mm -hmm. please. Um, I'm not sure what the template would be or anything like that. Just to underline that this is the campaigners are getting progressive parties to take a strong stand against the Heathrow expansion. This is about saying Labour, SNP, Green Party, what you need to stand up and say, 
you're against this expansion if you are the parties that you're meant to be. I saw a lot of people making comments being like, why are you at Labour HQ? Shouldn't you be at the Tory party HQ? It's like they've announced their backing, right? Well, we're do- all they're doing is asking progressive parties to fill the spaces that they say that they're going to fill. So, I th- yeah, it's interesting that people are like, Shouldn't you just go after people who you probably know aren't going to move from their point of view? And now just, that they've just, said that, Labour's vote, these the other party's vote has become more crucial because... Uh, just just to contextualise, because I'm sure everybody understands you, but like that was so fast for me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, just, just, just to say this, our camera person has uh, been following around the um, Heathrow, um, is essentially embedded in the Heathrow um, campaign, and has done some great work just, mm. just, you know, within an hour or two of being there, filming it, he's got it out there on Twitter. And we're the only people that are really covering it like this. Yeah. And um, so that's the reason why I'm taking this seriously. I mean, I really hate to say this, but I probably wouldn't even have noticed if we weren't doing it. Yeah. Um, so I feel bad about that, but there you are. So what's happened is, Cam, you're talking about when we've put this stuff up on our pages, oh. people are saying, why are you attacking Labour? This is a yeah. conspiracy. Um, um, my mate Tom said to me yesterday, our, our mate Tom, he said, um, people are saying that, you know, Navarra are funded by the Russians and that we are trying to destroy the Labour Party and all of this kind of stuff. <laughs> um, and uh, I noticed how nobody says that we're funded by anyone, which is absolutely correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, but, um, but, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a few more conspiracy theories floating around around about Navarra. I've seen that. Certainly. Okay, but the, with the Heathrow thing, um, yeah. So Roger's doing a hunger strike, and he's got his bag of tricks in terms of what works, in terms of getting attention on the right thing. So yeah, at the beginning of last week, they were so on it. You know, they they did these spray painting and hunger strikes and all this stuff. But the question is, this has really got me. The SNP are going to vote as a block in favour of the third runway at Heathrow. And, I mean, I'm sorry for speaking in a way where it's assumed that the third runway is bad because I'm quite far down the curve now. About two or three weeks ago, I kind of didn't care. And now I'm really fired up about it. You know, I think it's a really bad idea based on listening to people talking to me about numbers, uh, climate change and air pollution and things like that. So I'm against it. But I was actually really, really disappointed to find out that the SNP, they've had one of their events sponsored by uh, Heathrow. And apparently Gatwick sponsored them too. But um, they're going to vote in favour of the third runway. And I heard some arguments yesterday at the SNP London meeting and where I possibly didn't make too many friends by saying that I was upset that they're doing this and could we have a debate about it immediately. Uh, (laughs) And um, I was kind of told, no, Mm. we're not going to talk about it. We talked about it in the pub. But um, it's just really... What about sponsorship? Well, just why are you backing a third runway? It's not even in Scotland. You're talking about how... Because they walked out of PMQs yesterday because they said that not enough time was given to devolution. And I'm thinking, how do I walk out on the SNP? Because I don't vote for them but I was sort of rooting for them in some ways. And out of the choice between some kind of social democracy sort of thing where they care about everyone in some way and just right-wing Nordic capitalism, they're going for that really, really conservative thing. I just think it's awful what they're doing. Um, So there. Did you ask anybody there why? They wanted to vote for the Oh, yeah. Away. So one person said, more Scottish people will find it easier to fly to the Caribbean for a holiday, which was said in all seriousness. Um, 
and just saying, oh, that's so glad it. glad we could meet that need. But, but the genuinely serious thrust was that um, it appears that the SNP have asked Scottish businesses. And Scottish businesses have said one of two things. One, um, it's either Gatwick or Heathrow, so we prefer Heathrow. So that's a fait accompli. Um, and then the other one was, um, it's just good for business. You know, this is um, a European hub. We need it growing so that we can participate in that. It's interesting the way in which they've supposedly asked all of the businesses, because, you know, they certainly didn't ask everyone in Scotland or even all the members of the SNP. Mm. And I met people yesterday who said, I agree with everything that the SNP do except for this. Um, so I would imagine there's some degree of unrest because what kind of a progressive party are you if, mm. you know... I mean, Once you bring it out, it seems bizarre that they would stand as a block for the third runway, right? I've got no respect for them if they do that. None. Zero. Um, and George Caravan, who was on the Treasury Select Committee but lost his seat uh, from the SNP, he was at this meeting yesterday and he said, oh, I'm completely against Heathrow Third Runway. And I thought, hmm, is there a correlation between whether you're an MP or not? And, and how uh, strong your opinions are. Yeah. Um, and I said, is this, um, no one answered me, but it was, um, is this ideological, your love of the Third Runway? Or is it transactional? And they said, oh, that's a very provocative language to say transactional. And I said, well, I said it on purpose. I mean, you know, money under the table. I'm like, okay, that's pragmatic. You got paid. You know, like, is that why? And we kind of left it. But, um, yeah, but they were all very nice. Mm. Nice people. We'll look out for the developments of that campaign on real media. So we've also had the Media Fund had the News Club up in Sheffield. Do you want to give us... Little rundown. Yeah. Yeah, it was a really, really successful event. I had a great time and it was nice to see potentially what the news club will be able to offer. So this was just before, just as I started my break, <laughs> as we went on a break from this show. It was on the 31st of May up in Sheffield and I was speaking alongside Maya Goodfellow who writes for Media Diversified and Loki, the rapper. And yeah, basically we all picked a story each and talked about the story behind the story, and Maya picked the one about the French Spider-Man, the guy who was given uh, citizenship because he saved a baby. And she was talking about, you know, the good immigrant and the bad immigrant and all that kind of, um, all the things that are attached to that and how it's actually a negative thing, how they're celebrating this guy but will still demonise any migrant that comes over or any refugees. And then I talked about, uh, Loki talked about, I think it was Netanyahu visit. Oh, the prince, it was the Prince of Wales' visit to Netanyahu or something like along those lines, and he talked about arms sales and so on and the kind of secret relationships that we have. Tom brought in a story at the end to do with the evening... I'm sure we'll go and talk about it. The Evening Standards, um, Open Democracy revealed that the Evening Standard had these deals with sev several massive companies, including Google and Uber, to basically write native advertising, which is essentially advertising without telling you it's advertising. Disguised well, so it looks as editorial. like an article. Yeah. It looks like an article. Right? You have no idea this is totally paid for by a corporation. And my one was a story with Clive May, actually, and that's why I picked it. So Clive May was one of the victims of RBS, uh, a small business. And he, because of him just carrying on he's annoying dogged, people. He? Yeah, he's dogged. totally dogged. Just he, He's just, yeah. It's so admirable and wonderful. And basically, because of his work over years, he's now potentially forced an inquiry into the law firm that gave RBS a clean sheet in 2014. When Sorry, this is the story that you chose to talk yeah, about. Is yeah, it? yeah, right, yeah. Okay. So this was Clifford Chance in 2014 were brought in to do a review of the GRG, the unit that 
deliberately crushed businesses, and we know that now, um, at a rate of nine out of 10 of them being abused, 16,000 of them went through the GRG during the recession. And they cleared them and said they've they've not done anything wrong. And, and all these businesses, this was an important time in 2014 because this was when the complaints were starting to mount. And um, what's his name? L- Lawrence... Tomlinson. Lawrence Tomlinson had released a report saying that, that these complaints definitely had something to them and they but were can, saying can, the same just, thing. Just to, just, just to check, though, at the Media Fund event yeah, in yeah. Sheffield... Everybody went through a story, yeah. And the story that you went through was that there was a report. Was it? Was it a really, really? How many words were in this report <laughs> that you're talking about? I mean, I assume it wasn't a big article. It wasn't a big article. You're so funny. So you basically <laughs> you picked something that no one would have noticed in a million years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just said, "I actually can't sleep at night because of this article." Well, yeah. Right. This is reason, what we're talking about because you were just a total geek. In front like, of Did anyone understand <laughs> you? Did you get any eye contact? Any questions? I'm serious. I, Did, okay. So the reason I picked it was because I was like, "This is from the business pages." I was like, "I, I know why posi- you picked it." I'm positive. saying, did it? Did anyone notice that? what you were talking about was important. Like, yeah, did, yeah, did yeah. They, I'm no, just wondering because I haven't did. seen the video yet. Because I said, uh, the first thing I said was, have any of you heard of the GRG? And one person put their hand up. Okay, so and then you got okay, pressure. So here's a unit that was crushing small businesses and this was, and I explained that, you know, Clive May, he's the guy that we're meant to think of when it's a small business, right? He was uh, left school, set up his own company. He's a bricklayer turned construction yeah. firm. And he got crushed deliberately by this bank and we didn't know until this year the statistics on that. And what I used that story for was to say RBS didn't act by itself. It used these law firms, it used the accountancy firms, and it used the FCA, who all in some way covered for it and in, all, in some way gave it a clean sheet so it could carry on doing it. So it's not just RBS, it's all these other organisations in the So you feel you got that across in terms of painting the picture of the whitewash, yeah? <laughs> I think so. Just I wondering, so. you know, I don't mean to be, you know, difficult. It's a, no, yeah, no, we seem to get a good response from it. Okay, because sure. that's a really sure. difficult topic to get across. It is. It is a difficult topic, and I don't believe that we've actually done that ourselves on video, have we? No, no. We've we haven't. Not on video. No, we've not we done much RBS GRG. Just the interview with uh, Ian Fraser when that just hit budget. Mm. No, okay. came out. Meet anybody interesting there in Sheffield? <laughs> we did actually. I met the wonderful Simran and Annette. So big shout out to those guys who are running Plush Media. I've listened to their podcast. And it's really, really interesting. Great show. But it was lovely to meet you both. So big shout out to you too. You had a little conversation with them yourself, didn't I? I got on the phone to you. Yeah, fans that was fantastic. Yeah, it was fans very nice. of the show. Yeah. Um, I listened to, um, I think, the beginning of one of their podcasts, which I thought was really fun, particularly highbrow. I was, I just, I remember thinking, ooh, okay, this is, this is PhD stuff. Mm. Um, and yeah, I should get back to it. It was good. I definitely enjoyed it. There was they were talking about uh, negative capitalism was the one that I listened to. I think they've got two, but they were comparing it to capitalist realism, and there was yeah some really. Why don't we great, have these thoughtful... conversations ever, Cab? <laughs> like you know, on the show or off? I mean, I'm not sure if I can keep up, but um, yeah, that's perhaps uh, we should do a review of a book. Or we can get those guys in at some point. Yeah, these are some terms that I would like broken down the lexicon. Okay, so moving on. Yes. Monsanto. No more. No more will we hear that name. And what will we get instead? Bayer. The very bland Bayer. So as a result of the final merger, uh, there's been 
six corporations have been whittled down to three as a result of massive mergers. This is chemical companies, agri-tech companies. Agri-chemical companies. So we now have, this was the last to merge, Bayer and Monsanto. And during that merge, it's been announced that Monsanto will completely scrap its name, which is a very good business decision, considering how toxic it's become and how many, you know, that... It's mobilized a lot of protests against the organization. It's got a very, very terrible track record. However, what it means for Monsanto is that it just can carry on doing what it was doing before under a different name that well, doesn't I, I have assume, the same attachments to it. Yeah, I assume there were certain aspects of the EU market that they would have liked that they probably had difficulty getting into. And now if they operate as a German company, True, yeah. then they don't have to do much. Because um, Bayer's German. Yeah, I met somebody whose dad, I met his dad that was working for Bayer. Um, and I remember saying, didn't they make um, aspirin? And he said, yes, Ranjan, they also made heroin and the gas from the gas chambers. But they don't tell you that in the training. So I said, ah, oh, okay. Um, yeah, so that's the kind of Bayer we're talking about. Um, cool, moving on. Um, you were saying... Marriage made in hell. Well, yeah, you were saying uh, New York Times, For Facebook. The, yeah, they, they came up with an investigation. Is it the Sunday just gone? Facebook had contracts with 60 device makers, people like Apple, people like Google and um, other apps, had 60 contracts with them where they handed over your personal information, including your religion, your personal taste, pages you like, your age, etc., etc. So... This story was important because, as we've talked about before, Facebook has tried to treat the Cambridge Analytica thing as a blip, but really it is the business model of Facebook to use your data and give it to people in a way in which they can infer things about you and use that to advertise to you. Okay, I think I read something somewhere again, just a headline that Facebook have been giving away lots of data to Chinese firms as well. Oh, really? What, like uh, Tencent, Alibaba? Um, or Yeah, um, Hawaii, um I don't know if it was Tencent and Alibaba. I can't remember, but um, yeah, quite a few. Maybe not those guys because they're the actual rivals. I think they were more they hardware Alibaba, firms. Yeah. I think it was more the hardware firms. Right. Um, okay, so um, all the banking regulators are run by Trump appointed appointments or appointees, um, sowing the seeds of the next crisis. Um, apparently interest rates went up yesterday in America and that's because of the overheating of the economy that all the massive tax cuts are going to bring. The, uh, the Koch brothers... Through one of their front groups, thanked one of the Democrats actually recently for banking deregulation. Just to, just you know, I just want to throw in there that none of this could have been done without the uh, the lovely support of the Democrat Party. You know, it's them that's pushed over the line some of these some of these regulations, and they've always got just enough to make it happen. So, okay, well, I mean, I like to pretend occasionally that um, we don't think about, I mean, basically everything that we talk about is just regulation, isn't it, really, that we think about. We might not mention the, we try not to mention the actual word because it's so dry and makes everyone fall asleep, but actually regulation is the only thing that we think about. Um, and so now that we've mentioned it, um, we will possibly go back to it when we start talking about David White in a minute. SMB hypocrisy, already spoke about that. George Osborne, you've spoken about that. Abramovich, so just wanted to quickly mention that... Um, when Chelsea played the FA Cup final, Abramovich couldn't attend. And the reason why was because Sajid Javid's department, the Home Office, was um, hesitating over giving him a visa. Um, now, Abramovich hasn't officially committed any crimes. And, uh, you know, the whole thing about 
UK business attracting talent. Yeah. So Jarvid has basically managed to scrap the cap yesterday. Uh, Theresa May had this cap on um, visas of highly skilled workers, especially doctors for the NHS. So she was kicking doctors out and not letting them in. And there were areas up and down the country saying, we don't have a doctor. You know, Theresa May, we suspect you have a doctor, but we don't have a doctor in this area. Uh, We need more doctors from around the world. Obviously train more doctors here, but until that happens, we need them. Um, so, but then you have this example of Abramovich, the FA Cup final. There's 22 people there. Probably very few of them are English. That's foreign talent, highly paid talent. And the owner, yeah, who in the language of American Republicans is a job creator and a wealth creator, um, he um, he wasn't allowed to attend. He hasn't committed a crime. Like deep ironies there. I suspect that's Sajid Javed saying, look, World Cup's coming up. Roman Abramovich used to fund the Russian Football Federation from 2003 to 2010. You know, he's very invested in football. Um, and so, but this, so this is to do with where he made his money, right? Or how he potentially well, made his it, money? Well, it's interesting. Yeah, no, good point. Yeah, so they said, how did you make your money? And this actually links back to Chloe from DSmog's investigation that we reported on yesterday, uh, which we'll publish at some point, uh, which is that um, Abramovich, from what I understand, he went to oil school. He was an orphan. He's Jewish. He was an orphan and uh, he went to oil school and he became friends, I think, with Yeltsin's daughter, Boris Yeltsin, the previous president of Russia. And um, he bought lots of stuff very cheap during the privatization times. It inflated in price to billions and eventually sold all of it, or lots of it, back to Gazprom, who are sponsoring the World Cup. Right. And so when people... So if there are questions being asked about where he got his money, everybody knows that he got his money from uh, a very, like, totally legal... Um, it's corrupt in many ways, but it's totally legal um, sort of technique. So it just feels really, really strange. And the fact that he's then just going to Israel, a UK ally, it's utterly bizarre and um, just seems like it's trying to please Americans in some way. Because oh. Derry Pasca, the man who was on a yacht with um, George Osborne, Nat Rothschild and Peter Mandelson a few years ago, um, he's also had a lot of grief um, and lost his business, basically. You know, these are both Jewish billionaires from Russia. Right. Um, and, um, it's, yeah, there's just this whole irony where people talk about labor anti-Semitism and everything like that. And you just think, look at these two guys who are very high up. And they did very well under new labor in the UK. And they've just been persona non grata. They're being uh, pursued, um, probably to please Trump. It's, and it's because they've just become a problem. The facts of what they've done and who they are haven't changed. It's just that they've become... A problem in this light. Yeah, let's move on to another um, uh, famous Jewish multimillionaire, powerful guy who, in my opinion, okay, so he does advertisements for HSBC and Shell. This is Martin Sorrell, okay, so uh, WPP, so Wire and Plastic Products, a company that he bought in the 80s that I think made baskets in uh, shops, mm. you know, wire baskets. And he turned them into the biggest advertising company in the world. So there's this massive scandal about how he's lost his job and he was one of the most highly paid uh, guys. But they don't actually have, it's just, they don't actually have anything on him. It's just lots and lots and lots of these kind of micro transgressions. Uh, but there's no huge corporate scandal here. It's basically, he's been spending too much money of the company's money on his own private life, on his wife and prostitutes, whatever, this kind of stuff. But, you know, for a full-on hardcore criminal activity, I haven't seen one. So so it's just interesting to see these guys, they just get rid of them. They they don't actually have anything on them. You know what I mean? How long has he been been around? Martin Sorrell. Yeah. 
How long has he been part of the company, part of WPP? Oh, he bought it 30 years ago. Or, 30 years ago. And I think, I think well, he, yeah, he made it huge uh, over that time. But he's bought everyone. All of the other, all of his rivals, he bought them all. Um, and, yeah, just a very interesting thing where it's kind of to do with, um, what is it? Uh, strategic ignorance. Nobody knows why he went. It's all just coming out in dribs and drabs. It's pathetic. It's just such cowardice. Why can't we just, if you're going to stab someone, you know, <laughs> stab them in the front or the back, you know, let there be explosions and fireworks. said it was like a creeping scandal, isn't it? Yeah, I just think this is part of what we're about. Just, I don't like you. I'm going to create some intrigue and you're going to go, <laughs> such cowardice in this country, honestly. You know. In terms of the reporting or in terms of the way they go after? Both. People. Both the investor relations, the PR, the reporting, you know, the actual Machiavellian stuff that goes on there and everything like that. You know, he's a man of a certain age. He will swear to his underlings or at his underlings. It's not nice, but that's just what it's all about. Yeah. And so it's kind of just like a kind of dinosaur generational thing. Uh, that's what they're getting him for. Yeah. It's, so it's just, just this really weird, unclear sort of, I'm not saying it's bullying. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, but he doesn't actually deserve it in that way. Like, right. you know, do you know what I mean? It's just. Oh, you know, the mood has changed. <laughs> Terrible. Um, you know, for those of us who occasionally think the rules should be followed and if they're broken, then people should be done for them and if they're not. Anyway, Bilderberg, Amber Rudd. <laughs> she attended, right? With George Osborne. Um, yeah, interesting. Cam, anything on that? Did Did anyone from Ofcom attend this time? Oh, interesting, yeah. So Sharon White, who is the boss of Ofcom, I've, we've talked before about um, how I put up a blog post about Lord Adonis once, and then Ofcom, I said, Lord Adonis said that the BBC is the Brexit Broadcasting Corporation and that it's collusively corrupt. Someone from Ofcom emailed me. Um, we had a bit of a ding-dong. I published the emails, and they should never have emailed me because then afterwards I'm just going to carry on emailing them. And then eventually I thought we've they got to They didn't know what they were getting into, did they? I'm a bureaucrat. <laughs> And so I thought, right, okay, we've got to bring this to an end. So I thought, who's his boss? And his boss is Sharon White. Email her. They put me through to their head lawyer. And I basically just said, look, is this guy contacting me because he's regulating my blog or because I've hurt his feelings or, you know, just because he's some random? And they said, um, we don't regulate your blog. It's just because he thought it was part of his job. And if there was a misunderstanding, oh, yeah, I demanded a full... Uh, written an unreserved apology and they said look if there was any misunderstanding we apologize i thought i'll stop there you know because i really didn't get enough i really wanted more but i thought there's other stuff going on probably time to stop but she attended bilderberg last year with andrew adonis the guy who i was writing the blog about in the first place isn't that so what that means is me who wrote the blog and the underling chris Wynn of ofcom who's the director of communications we're the two chumps that didn't understand anything and we were the two people shouting at each other about my blog. He probably didn't know that his boss went to Bilderberg with and Adonis. With, with Adonis. Uh, maybe he did, but you, you don't talk about that. So um, it was really a case of, you know, let your people talk to my people or shout at my people. Hilarious. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting a bit self-indulgent there. Andrew Bailey, head of the Financial Conduct Authority. What's Any he been up to? Um, well, do you want to say anything that you just in general? No, you, no, you go ahead. I've got a couple of things to say, but I will interject. Okay, cool. So Bailey, um, 
I think he wants to become the head of the Bank of England. He absolutely does. Right. And um, what's that guy's name? Alex Brummer from the Daily Mail, the business guy, clearly is batting for him. And um, so he's got to try and do a PR job to try and make it look as though he's nice. So he's saying, oh, I'm going to regulate payday lenders, car lenders, I mean, money lenders for cars, as you were saying, funerals. I don't think he went as far as student loans, but just all of these areas where you can borrow money. He's saying, oh, yeah, you know, it's not really that good the way everyone's being treated. I don't know how long he's been there, but he's taken his time to do this. He definitely has, yeah. And they don't mention anything about PFI, and they don't mention anything about Lobos, the... We've never mentioned this before, but they're the loans that councils have taken out where they end up paying a lot of interest to banks. Um, I sent some FOIs about this before. Other people have been looking into it. And so um, even the sun was just so, you know, they just, oh, it's amazing the way Bailey is doing this and all of this stuff. And I just wanted to say, why don't you talk about the interest rates that the, yeah, that the credit cards are charging or... No, no, I think he's looking into that, but just much more, you know, look at the councils, look at the public institutions. And this reminds me of um, Andrew McGettigan, who's written a book about um, university finance, the great university gamble. He told me recently that he FOI'd some department for the Rothschild advice about the selling of the student loan book. And they redacted a part of a um, of this publication, which said that the UK is a country where interest rates are nearly zero percent, but we're charging at least three percent to customers, um, and that normally wouldn't happen under functioning capitalism. So basically, they redacted this because they didn't want anyone to know that capitalism is not working here in in a, in a real way for consumers. It's um, working for people who are charging very much money to people who are very happy that to pay. That was redacted. It. Yeah, because they didn't want people to know that uh, that's the logic and this was in 20, the background. This was 2010? Probably 2013 that I remember him saying this. He, so he's done this a while ago. But it's almost to say this is the general feeling about corporate UK, which makes me think of, you know, Lisa Dysfunctional. Yeah, and so Andrew Bailey is also um, changing the rules in order to allow Aramco to float, the Saudi Arabian stock um, oil company to float on the London Stock Exchange. Um, so he's doing all of this stuff. So this is, look, he's there saying, he's pretending to look after the consumer. Yeah. But actually he's trying to big, bring big corporations here, which is good for business, and HSBC advisor Ramco. Um, but actually this is all about post-Brexit, open for business, open to corruption. We'll have this woman, Lisa Rosowski, who we've mentioned before, take over at the serious fraud office. We'll water everything down. We'll just say, look, Britain is full of chumps. You can get away with anything. There's no regulation here. You know, get on with it. Yeah. And I mean, I was coming back to the RBS stuff just because I was around people and myself had emailed the FCA during that time period when he was there. And as I said, the FCA played their role in covering up what RBS had done. When just to, to small businesses that you were yeah, working with. So they delayed a report by two years and then they said, we're only going to release a summary, not the full report. And because of the victims being so angry, they got their hands on the full report and released it into the public domain. Have and you read it? Yeah, I've read, I've have read, not in its entirety. It's a long report, but yeah, I have read it, skimmed through it at least, and it's a complete misrepresentation of that summary. So the summary kind of still says it's cleared of the most egregious parts of the uh, complaints, but in reality, what. One massively important thing that it said in that report was that there was an intentional and coordinated strategy, and they never said that in the summary. And as I said, I've said this before, but it's really difficult to obviously 
get a corp- to prove the malicious intent of a corporation. And here they had left that out of the summary. And he, um, when uh, Ross McEwen, who's the current CEO of RBS, he there was kind of some rumours floating about that he might go to National Australia Bank. Mm. And Andrew Bailey sent out a glowing, you know, couple of sentences about him saying that he was brilliant. And this was in the midst of RBS still, you know, not doing very well and letting down all of its SME customers. So it's so that was like an insight into going, we'll keep the train on the tracks, you know, we'll still give you a glowing report. It doesn't matter how badly things are going or how badly we've lied. Um, we want to look like we're helping consumers. You know, when SME customers like Clive May emailed Andrew Bailey, and he did before the report came out. He said, are you going to assure me that this is not going to be a whitewash? Because they're saying this is going to be a whitewash. And, and Andrew Bailey said, you, can, you have my word, this is not going to happen. And, and it happened, and yeah. It happened. I remember you told me he's answering emails on Sunday mornings and stuff <laughs> like that, personal emails. So, um, yeah, so Andrew Bailey essentially can't be trusted. Um, not so different from Lisa Rosowski, Isabel Oakshot. I mean, essentially, um, all of these people are naughty. Um, and well, with the Oakshot thing, you know, what I find interesting is that she. So you said she was on Question Time tonight. She released a story that she about uh, the Russian meetings. That she she said that she was sitting on it for months because her and Lord Ashcroft were going through the files, and it was the same time that Caroline Cadwalla is that her, Carol Cadwallader Cadwallader had released it for the the Observer. amazing Carol Cadwallader, yeah. Yeah. So, but then she was suggesting that it was her story and her exclusive, and she was going to release it anyway at that time. And she was just given also an extra piece in the Sunday Times to go, "Hey, this is my side of the story." She's now on BBC QT. It's just a bit weird that she. Well, it's quite clear. Gets that to in a way, have her in a way, Adonis stuffed in our face. Yeah, in a way, Adonis has a point in the sense that we are in Brexit Broadcasting Corporation territory here, um, in the sense that. Um, well, on the Andrew Marr show on Sunday, um, I cut up a little video about it that I put on my Twitter. Um, feel free to uh, praise it, Cam. Uh, the um, I was impressed. The uh, thank you. The way in which he sort of bigs up the Sunday Times first and mentions the Mail, which is rampant remain, by the way. Geordie Gregg is going to take over from the Daily Mail. Um, so the Mail on Sunday. Paul Dacre. Yeah. And then afterwards, um, the Observer, you can see that he's virtually rubbishing the Observer story. He actually said, Aaron Banks has met Russians many times. And then afterwards, Ma said, of course, he has every right to do that. He totally rubbished the entire publications, you know, the premise of the entire um, exclusive whilst bigging up the Sunday Times one. I just thought, mate, you're corrupt. You're totally corrupt, Andrew Marr. Yeah. As in, you know, hanged, treason, yeah. naughty. Um, sorry, I was supposed to suppress no, that. It was great that you brought it up because it was the comparison of literally the same story on the same day, the Sunday, right? And yeah. Well, the. I yeah. saw ha- I watched the video and how he chucked in that comment. Yeah, it's very underhand, and this is exactly what I'm saying in the way they got rid of Martin Sorrell, who I'm not a fan of, but like, do it properly if you're going to do it. Like, you know, sure. he's, he's advertising people who have private armies and mercenaries who are killing millions of people in Nigeria, etc., in order to get their oil. And you're doing him for ha- having sex with a sort of high-class prostitute on 
you know, around the corner from his work. It's like, you know, he went and he had a hamburger at McDonald's, as far as I'm concerned, who sure. he advertises anyway. Yeah. Like, he's yeah. using sex to advertise. He's, you know, he doesn't... No one's going to lose their There's no like questions that. asked about any of the wider morality of this guy, and you're doing him for something like this. Um, so Andrew Marr, the way in which he undermines these people and its tone of voice and it's all of this stuff. And it's so absorbed with him that it's not... It's just theatre, and it's him being normal, and he's genuine. He's like he's a kind of moral individual, and he's doing all of this stuff. I um, I enjoy watching this stuff. I really do. I love being lied to in this sort of way, and I sometimes find it surprising how long it takes me to realise the incredibly obvious. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, in all of the papers today, I mean, for most of the pages for the last couple of days, I have to say I've been far too busy to read them. Which is quite funny. I don't normally say that, um, but just the the front page is saying, "Got to do your duty. Got to back Brexit," and you know, really anti Ramona and all of this stuff. Um, actually, the um, D Smog's offices are next to um, George Soros's um, "Best for Britain" anti Brexit um, kind of campaign, right? And um, apparently he visited the other day, Mr. Soros. He visited the D-Smog offices? Well, no, no, not theirs. Their neighbours. Their <laughs> right, neighbours. Right, right. Okay, he went to his own office. Yeah, so, someone, someone said that they were walking up the stairs, which was quite steep, and they bumped into him. And they said, no oh, it's him. Yeah. Um, that is mad. Um, I'm quite happy for him to, you know, wire us some cash. If you're listening which I'm sure you are, Mr. Sorrel. Yes, George. No, Soros, not Sorrel. Oh, so, oh George Soros. Sorry, yeah, I don't want this. that WPP pound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Soros could help us out. That would be nice. Tee hee hee. All right. Um, should we terminate? Yeah. Oh, what, what have we got coming up? Oh, yeah, it was like World Cup. We haven't said enough about um, Chloe. Chloe did really, really well yesterday in our interview with her right. um, about FIFA, and she basically was just opening up on the greenwash, the platform. that So FIFA are offering a platform to the UN and all these corporations like Gazprom, and they're buying offsets for all of the pollution. So they're saying every single person that flies into Russia for the World Cup is polluting a certain amount. So we'll like plant a tree or something like that. But the equivalent of the contracts, they're called offsets for planting trees, etc., sure. would only cover 34,000 flights to Russia. That's not even enough for half of Wembley Stadium. <laughs> they said they estimate a million people. Yeah. So it's just a joke. They, they said you go on Qatar Airways and Gazprom and all these websites. It was yeah. just all about emitting. There's nothing on there about any of this. They're just like, yeah, World Cup's on it. <laughs> <laughs> but they're still selling themselves as being a, a, on a... On a green flex. Wow. They're just like, yeah, we is green. And you just say, We planted uh, this seed. We green. <laughs> yeah, no, but they don't know. That's the whole thing is that they're not even saying that. They're like, we're not going to waste anyone's, you know, we're not going to lie to anyone. Yeah. You know, like your Gazproms and everything. And what she said was the, the pipeline that Gazprom are doing, Nord Stream 2, from Russia to Germany people, um, is going to lock, you know, ga apparently gas pollutes less than the other stuff, but it's going to lock, you know, Europe into X years of all of this stuff. Um, so, yeah. We should, also, we should also mention uh, the knighthood, by the way. Jim Ratcliffe. Oh, yeah. The richest man in Britain has now been knighted. And he... So, yeah, a guy who wants to produce plastic, who's trying to force fracking upon the public and was also given lots of secret injunctions, has now been given a knighthood. 
secret injunctions, a bit like Andrew Marr. He took out all these injunctions on lawyers when he was um, being naughty. And people said, you can't take a journalist seriously if he takes out secret, secret injunctions, injunctions on the rest yeah, of the press. He's been gagging the press. Brilliant. So... I love it. Yeah, because I remember somebody told me this theory of like, you're not going to be made the head of a select committee in Parliament unless people have a lot of dirt on you. So Keith Vaz, Margaret Hodge, think these types of people. Tyree, you know, Caravan. Yeah. Oh, well, Caravan was just on the committee. But I think, yeah, if you're, if you're heading up a select committee, you have to be a safe pair of right, hands. So Damien Collins, I worry about him, <laughs> you know, the media guy. Because he voted um, for... Um, you know, he voted against press regulation, you know, and he's quite clearly got an okay relationship with... With the press. Uh, well, with the people who are doing the investigations into Cambridge Analytica, Peter Jukes and Carol Cadwallader. Right. You know, they obviously communicate because they're doing all the research and he has to ask the questions. I see, I see. You know, like no one else can ask the questions. He's the one with the platform. He yeah. can choose the... and everything like that. But he still voted in favour of Murdoch and Dacre. And he's a Tory. And... You know, obviously, you've got to get into bed with whoever when it comes to the alliance time. Yeah. But um, but you could just see the other day, he was there on some Sunday politics show. And I think it was Julia, what's her name, Hartley Brewer. She's on there. And she's there just going, obviously, you know, doing a defense job. And she's basically just saying, oh, Aaron Banks, um, he may have met some dodgy Russians. Um, but I don't think that um, if people had known that he'd met those Russians, it would have changed the vote. And then she said, a few seconds later, she said, but we're really grateful that he spent all that money and helped us win. So she, I love it. She's like, he didn't make any difference. And then, but thank you for helping us win. And Damien <laughs> Collins is there, the Tory Damien Collins. He's just looking, he's obviously a Remainer. He just, the look on his face as he was looking at her was, you know, you, I don't believe anything that you're saying. You're a liar. Sure. Well, she, yeah. I'll reserve my uh, judgment on that. Yeah. Oh. Oh well. Um, good stuff. What have we got coming up? What's 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 been released? What have we got coming up? Well, the David White interview will be coming out that you did yesterday on regulation, deregulation, SFO. Yeah. yeah. We are we are speaking on the first anniversary of Grenfell, which we should mention. Um, and yeah, some of the things that we spoke to David about were to do with. Grenfell, so that will be coming up. We also, I'm still trying to sort out this interview with Barbara Jacobson, so that will be happening. On basic income. Yes, uh, but that will be happening soon. We've got some dates. And we're going to be carrying on with following this this Heathrow campaign and from there on a bit of a focus on some other environmental campaigns because everything every day becomes more urgent. Good stuff. All right. Thanks a lot, Kev. See you next time. Bye.